Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. topic today is Wine, Women, and Song, and the Writing on the Wall. Daniel chapter 5 describes the last night of Babylon, which occurred in 538 B.C. This story, you'll discover, my friend, today is more than history. Indeed, it is a prophecy. I'd like you to take the Bible now and turn to Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1 as we consider this great chapter. The last night of Babylon, wine, women, and song, the great feast, and the writing on the wall. Daniel, the fifth chapter. We're going to notice verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Uh, these words are very important words. We have here a reference to Belshazzar. It wasn't that many, many years ago that skeptics derided the Bible and the Christian faith because of this reference in the book of Daniel to the book of Belshazzar. The Bible plainly indicates here that Belshazzar was on the throne of Babylon when Babylon was overthrown some night in 538 B.C. And here is the problem. Every secular historian maintained... Ancient historians maintain that the last king of Babylon was Nabonidus. But the Bible says Belshazzar. And therefore the liberals and the critics and the skeptics raised a cry and they said here is another example that the Bible is unreliable and cannot be trusted. So there is the problem. Every historian outside the Bible said, I'm talking about ancient historians, said that the last king of Babylon was Nabonidus, but the Bible said Belshazzar. It appeared as though the Bible was wrong. And then scholars discovered a little clay tablet. I've actually, I've got pictures of it. I, can, I, I think I've even shown it to you on previous occasions. It talks about Nabonidus. It talks about how Nabonidus dedicated a temple. And the tablet, the clay tablet, written in cuneiform, ends with a prayer for his son, Belshazzar. And as you read on in the ancient, not the hieroglyphics, but the cuneiform inscriptions, you discover that Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon, but Nabonidus became sick of the politics of the court and he retired and he gave the throne to his son Belshazzar who was the acting regent on the throne. And once again it was discovered, it was shown that the Bible was right and the skeptics were wrong. I want to tell you today and I want to say this with absolute assurance and confidence you can believe in the Bible. You can believe in the historicity of the Bible. Archaeology demonstrates that the Bible is an historical document of great accuracy. You can believe in the Bible. This book that you're holding today is not a, a load of myths. This book, my friend, is the very word of the living God. And Daniel chapter 5 starts with the picture of this tremendous banquet attended by thousands and thousands of people. 
And this was the last night of Babylon. And the Bible tells us that, that this man, Belshazzar, was drunk. Did you notice this? The Bible tells us that they were engaged in a drunken, a drunken feast. And when they were filled with alcohol, the king was moved to do an act that sealed his fate for time and for eternity. I want to say a few words now about alcohol. Because I believe it is a curse. The Bible says in the book of, chapter, of Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, and you know the text, the Bible says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I want to go on record today. I want to say to the people who are watching this on television, the greatest curse in America is alcohol. We hear a lot about marijuana and these other drugs which are bad. But there is another drug which is worse than marijuana. It is alcohol. Little wonder that so many good decisions come out of Washington because so many of the legislators are drunk and are under the control of the demon which is called alcohol. Did you know that one out of every ten people in the world is a potential alcoholic? And if, if we have ten people here, say these ten people here, and you all start to drink, at least one of you is genetically engineered to become an alcoholic. It's like playing Larissa Russian roulette and you're playing with your life. In the great land of the United States of America there are tens of millions of people who are hooked on the demon of alcohol. There are tens of millions of alcoholics in the land of the United States of America. There are millions of broken homes, broken marriages, broken children, broken hearts, broken bodies because of alcohol. And I want to tell you one of the greatest sins today is social drinking among people who say that they believe the Bible. One of the greatest sins today is that we have ministers who profess to believe the Bible and who take a glass of wine when they drink and they say, this is my responsibility, it is not hurting me, but it may be hurting your family. And what about your example? I believe that no man has the right to stand before the people and preach the word of God who touches a drop of alcohol. I believe it is under the curse of God. The Bible says he drank wine before the thousands. I'll never forget the story that Dr. Scharfenberg told us when we were a group of students at Avondale College. He said he was called call to go to a great penitentiary, a great jail, and visit there a young man who had murdered his mother. Just a young man who'd murdered his mother. Imagine a crime so base as to kill your own mother. And he went along and he spoke to this young man, and the young man described how he'd come home late at night, He'd been out drinking with his friends, having a good time, and that's a lie. Having a good time, rotting out his mind and destroying his soul. And he came home late at night, and his mother came out to the kitchen, and she said, she started to nag him. She said, you shouldn't have been drinking, you should be home earlier. And he, he went to the kitchen and he took out a great carving knife and he came to his mother and he put the knife through her and killed her. And the boy was weeping as Dr. Schaffenberg was talking. The boy was weeping. He said, I didn't know what I was doing. I would never have killed my mother. 
And then Dr. Scharfenberg said, son, I want to ask you for the record, who gave you your first drink? And he said, my mother gave me my first drink. My mother said, if I could learn to handle it, it would be okay. I was listening to some person on, on the radio the other day, a smart person telling people, teach your children to drink moderately. Teach them to drink moderately. I want to tell you, there is no safety in moderation. And I know that among many, many Christians right here in Southern California, this subject is taboo because in their own homes they have alcohol. I want to tell you, you're sinning against God. You're breaking the law of God. You're breaking the law of your own being. And you're going to put your own family at risk. What about your children? Don't you care about your children? Don't pray for your children until you can repent of this sin. Don't expect God will hear your prayers about your children. If you're setting them the cursed example of taking alcohol, what say if you've got a little boy and he sees daddy taking alcohol and you can get away with it, but your little boy is number one of that one in ten and your little boy, because he loves his daddy, he takes a glass as he grows up and he becomes a helpless alcoholic. Don't you come and stand before God and dare to say, he did it and it's his own responsibility. You are responsible for what your child has done. If you set an example before your children through alcohol, and if they do things under the influence of alcohol and you have encouraged them in that, I want to tell you, you are guilty before God and your soul is on the line. Every Christian, every minister ought to take a stand against the demon of alcohol. Can you say amen to that? Amen. It is a curse. It is worse than marijuana. It is worse than tobacco. Because a person who smokes, well, he's killing himself. He's poisoning his own lungs. But a person who takes alcohol is putting everybody at risk. He is destroying his soul and he's destroying his mind. And tonight, today, America is drunk. And America is facing the judgment. I'm afraid I don't have a lot of time for those hypocritical politicians who get down on young people because they take marijuana. I'm opposed to marijuana as much as any living soul, I believe. I'm opposed to all of those drugs. But I get sick and tired of those hypocritical politicians who bash the young people and they do it while they're drinking alcohol. They are as much hooked on drugs as the young people who are taking marijuana. It is a fact. And this man was hooked on the demon of alcohol. Notice it. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Read on. While Belshazzar... Was, now, I don't say those things to offend you. If anybody here is offended, don't get offended at me. Repent and get your life in order. The Bible says, Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Don't come and give me the text that Jesus, when he turned water into wine, was turning uh, that water into alcohol. I don't believe it. Because in the scriptures, the word wine also refers to unfermented wine, and you need to go according to the context of scripture. The Bible says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And notice what happened to Belshazzar. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, this is verse 2, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have done that if he'd been sober. So that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold, gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. 
As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Listen, my friend. This was the most foolish thing the king had ever done. I venture to say to you that even this profligate would not have done it if he had not been deceived by the demon of alcohol. Do you know what he did? With an impious, blasphemous hand, he reached out and he touched the holy things of God. Nebuchadnezzar had brought all of this wonderful and sacred stuff from the temple in Jerusalem. When Jerusalem had been overthrown, they had taken so much of the magnificent furniture of the temple, the goblets, and also the candlestick. That was holy. And what God has said is holy, we ought to respect, I tell you. And on almost any other occasion, this profligate would have respected the holy things of Yahweh, Almighty God. But because he was drunk, he did not think straight. And, he, and this is what happens to people today when they get drunk. Normally they're rational people, but when they're drunk, you cannot reason with them. They cannot think straight. And they are full of self-confidence. And now the king is drunk and he's not thinking straight. And he says, fetch me the sacred vessels that were taken out of the temple of Almighty God. And so they bring in the golden goblets and they fill them with wine. And there they praise the gods of gold and silver and iron and wood that do not see. And when the king did this, God said, Enough is enough. And I want every person sitting here in this church today to know this. The day is coming when the God of heaven is going to stand up and God is going to say, enough is enough. There's a line that is crossed. Would you please read on with me? Please read on and notice what happens. Verse 5. Suddenly, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Although we cannot be dogmatic, most likely this is the lampstand that was taken out of the temple. And the fingers write next to the desecrated lampstand. The king watched the hand as it wrote, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way and he became sober. He is sober because now he is standing in the presence of God Almighty. The king called out for the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Listen to me because in a moment we're going to notice what was written on the wall. I want to make this very plain today. This is a strong meeting. This is the strongest meeting we've taken so far on the book of Daniel. Listen carefully. A person cannot repent when he feels like doing it. This is a very important truth. A person who says, God has given us the gift of repentance and he's given us freedom of will and therefore... I will repent when I feel like it, not when some preacher urges me to do it. I will do it when I feel like it. Don't be so sure. At this stage in the life of Belshazzar, he could not repent. Did you know this? 
At this stage, Owen, in the life of Belshazzar, he could not repent. You know the poet wrote that and was put to a hymn. There's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord. Where the call of his spirit is lost. As you travel along with the pleasure mad throng. Have you counted, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? Though you gain the whole world for your own. Even now it may be that the line you have crossed. Have you counted, have you counted the cost? He didn't count the cost. He crossed the line and this was his last night. The last night of the king and the last night of Babylon. Listen, Heslop, a great commentator said, there was a last night in the history of Belshazzar. There is a last night to everything and everyone on earth. A last feast, a last fight, a last dance, a last movie, a last cigar, a last drink, a last cigarette, a last oath, a last supper, a last night. The Belshazzars of today may make their great feasts, Drink their expensive wines, profane holy things, and mock holy men. But there is a last night for them all. There is a last night for you. There is coming a last night for me. A last prayer, a last song, a last church service, a last opportunity to repent. There is a last night for every person. And this was his last night. Would you please read on, if you don't mind. Please read on the amazing story. Verse 8. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. You know, one of my favorite commentators is the great Matthew Henry. Henry, Matthew Henry, quaintly says, See how Belshazzar affronts God and how God affrights him. I say to every person listening on television today, be careful how you affront God because if you affront him, he will affright you. And so the brain's trust is called in before the king and once again they are disgraced and they cannot read the writing. It is a mystery to them. But then the queen speaks. Verse 10. The queen, this is most likely the wife of Nebuchadnezzar who had survived. This is the queen mother. Not Belshazzar's wife. The queen Hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. They must have been screaming. O king, live forever. She said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, most likely his grandfather or great-grandfather. With this term of father and son, these terms are used very loosely. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. It's one thing to have knowledge, my friend. It's a better thing to have understanding. 
You can get knowledge from a university, but you get understanding from God. And he had understanding. Keen mind, high IQ, knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. This woman knew him. She remembered the days of Nebuchadnezzar. She remembered the glory days. She remembered the days when Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed dreams. And this young Hebrew had been called in. And she remembers him. And she says, when everything else has failed, now call for the man of God. When everything else is gone and the world is falling apart, now is the time for God's man to come before the king. Are you a man of God? I would rather be a man of God and a preacher of the everlasting gospel than the wealthiest and the most powerful politician in the world. When things are at their worst, they call for the man of God. You know, know how old he is now? Hmm? Anybody know? He's about 80 years of age. He doesn't come in in a wheelchair. He has lived a life of nobility. He has lived a life of abstemiousness. He has lived a life of temperance. And he walks in before the king, this young waster who is 36 years of age, we think. Get the picture, the old man of God who fears nothing. And this young drunken waster. Verse 13, so Daniel, representing God, so Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to him, are you Daniel? One of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah. I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to tell this writing and tell me what it means but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, my friend, here comes the man of God. It has been said of these two men, Listen, one feared nothing from the unknown. The other feared all that was unknown. One feared nothing from the unknown because his life was in the hands of God. Daniel doesn't go in, my friend, as a weakling. He goes in as the man of God. I want to tell you, my friend, you and I need fear no man. We need fear no circumstance if our lives are in the hands of God. Amen. We should fear nothing but sin itself. And here is the man of God and he goes in and there is the king in his weakness and in his fear. And the king says to him, you'll be clothed in scarlet I will put a gold chain about your neck. I'm going to make you the third ruler in the kingdom. But tell me what it means. Notice verse 17, the reply. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. My friend, Please notice this. Are you listening to this? I want you to notice here, there is not one word of grace. This is pretty solemn. This same man said to Nebuchadnezzar, if you repent of your sins, it may be 
a lengthening of your tranquility. But when he comes in now and stands before Belshazzar, you will find he doesn't give the king one word of hope or one word of mercy because the king has committed the unpardonable sin. He is a lost soul. And there is no mercy at last. People have asked me the question, do you believe in the gospel of the second chance? Because there is a theory that after the second coming, people are going to get a second chance. And they've said to me, do you believe in the gospel of the second chance? My friend, I believe in the gospel of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the seventh chance. I believe in a God of infinite mercy, but I believe that there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord. The Bible says, Jesus said, I'll forgive every sin, but there's one sin I cannot forgive. And Jesus said, Daniel, it is the sin against the Holy Ghost. King Saul committed it. Judas committed it. Others have committed it. The Pharisees in the days of Jesus committed it. And this man had committed the sin against the Holy Ghost. And now there is no mercy and there is no hope. Would you please read on? Verse 18, and you'll see why his day of mercy is finished. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his glory, royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was wretched, drenched, drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets over them Anyone he wishes. We spoke about that last week. Verse 22. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Though you knew all this, instead you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Meeny, meeny, tackle, parson. Now, I want you please to pause for a moment. And I want you to do some reflection. Our God is plenteous in love, plenteous in mercy, plenteous in grace. The problem is this, Belshazzar had had opportunities. Though you knew all this, he knew about Nebuchadnezzar, he knew about the change that had happened in his life, he knew all those things, but in spite of the fact that he knew those things, he had gone on in the same old way, he had spurned the light of God and closed his ears to the voice of the Spirit of God. Listen to me. I have a strong word from God for every person sitting here today. 
I'm talking to an audience on television, and I'm talking to a congregation meeting here in the Community Adventist Fellowship on the Sabbath morning, and we are a people who have had splendid opportunities, opportunity after opportunity to hear the Word of God. There are no people in the world who've had greater opportunities than the American people. A church almost on every corner. Bibles galore. The most blessed people in the world. I will tell you something today. We are going to be judged according to our opportunities. You've had opportunities. I want to ask you today, in the name of God who sent me to preach the word, what are you doing with your opportunities? Are you sitting here today as a spectator and you don't even read your Bible in your own home? You don't pray? Have you had opportunity year after year after year after year and you are still in the same condition? I say to you today, beware. The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Our God is a God of infinite love and compassion and mercy. But I will tell you today, on the authority of the Holy Word, our God is a God of judgment. There's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord with a cry of His Spirit is lost as you travel along with the pleasure-mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted it, friend? Or do you think this is a joke today? think it's funny. Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own? Even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted, have you counted the cost? You may have one last opportunity, and when you take it and despise it, the writing will be on the wall. Therefore, turn to God today. Listen, listen, read on now. The verdict of the judgment. What a chapter. People tell me the Bible's boring. That's because they're boring. They don't read it. Verse 26, this is what these words mean. Meany. God has numbered the days of your kingdom, the days of your reign, and brought it to an end. Tackle. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting Perry's the singular of parson. Perry's your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Can you imagine the face of the king? Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. One moment, uh, having a great lot of fun, dancing, drinking, carousing, lots of alcohol, lots of laughter, lots of mocking, and then the hand appeared. God would have us to understand that judgment comes quickly, unexpectedly. That very night the king was slain. Do you know how it happened? According to prophecy it was predicted that there'd be a drought upon the river Euphrates. That night Outside were the combined forces of the Medes and the Persians under Cyrus the Great. I've seen the Cyrus Cylinder, looked at it, examined it, studied it, tells the story. 
Cyrus had the river drained, according to the prophecy. For the first time in the history of Babylon, the great bronze gates along the river were left unlocked. We do not know why. The soldiers, the Medes and the Persians waded down into the river. They walked with the water up to their chests. Because the water had been drained, most of it was gone. They came to the great gates and the great gates were unlocked and Babylon fell without a battle. The most impregnable city in the world fell without a battle because it is written. God said it. So shall it be written. So shall it be done. It was done. The soldiers of Cyrus the Great poured into the city. The first person they found was this 36-year-old drunken king. The first person who felt the sharp blade under his rib. That night, the blood of the king mingled with the wine of the banquet hall. Weighed in the balances and found wanting because he sinned against his opportunities like some of us are doing in this church. What can I learn from this? Listen to me and take it seriously. Don't think this is an entertainment. We are not here today to entertain you. We are here to tell you what the Bible says and try to get you into the kingdom. What can we learn from all this? There's a line that is crossed. Number two, there is a coming judgment day. Do I believe in the judgment? Yes, I believe in the judgment. I believe it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. I believe it is written in the Holy Scriptures that every knee shall bow and give a record to Christ. I believe that by our words we are going to be justified and by our words we're going to be condemned in the judgment. I believe that the words are true in Revelation when it says, I looked and there was a great throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. There is a record of your life. There is a record of my life. And there is a judgment day. Here is the next great truth. Alcohol beclouds and destroys the judgment. It is the curse of America. Maybe it's the curse in your home. Get rid of it. No Christian should condone social drinking. It is a curse. And here is the next truth. It is deadly dangerous to tamper with God's holy things, with His Word, with His law, with His holy Sabbath, what God has made holy. Respect. It is a dangerous thing to take the vessels of the sanctuary and pollute them. And here's something else I'm going to tell you. The events of Belshazzar's drunken feast are to be repeated on a worldwide scale. This is also a prophecy. In the last days, according to the prophecies of Revelation, church and state are going to unite together and make war against God's sanctuary, God's church, God's law, and enforce the mark of the beast, which is the mark of Babylon. Once again, the world is going to be drunk. And the Bible says, listen to this, that in the last days, the great system of Babylon is going to persecute the people of God and desecrate the holy things of God. And when that happens, God will say, enough is enough. And Michael will stand up 
and sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon woman, as a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The New Testament takes the story of Daniel 5 and applies it to the last days. Therefore, in view of all these things, what shall we do? What shall we do in view of all these things? Some time ago, I went back to Australia and took a series of meetings at the South Queensland camp, Grey camp. Thousands of people in attendance. Great spirit. The man who sang for me night after night was Pastor Cook. Don't you remember how he used to sing? Mm. He used to be a great singer. Now he's not a young man anymore, but he could still sing. And he sang for me every night. When I was a boy out of college, I used to listen to these tapes and listen to him sing. And one night at the South Queensland camp, I preached on this subject, the judgment. And he sang the song I'd heard him sing 25 years before. I said to him, I want you to sing this song. Sing it again. And he sang it. I want to read the words. These words that have got into my bones and these words that have given me conviction to try to pluck people out of the fire. Listen. I dreamed that the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the great throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel and stood on the land and the sea and swore with his hand raised to heaven the time was no longer to be. That's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Because the writing is on the wall of every nation. Meany, meany, tackle you fasten. The rich man was there, but his money had melted and vanished away. A pauper, he stood at the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there, but his greatness when death came was left far behind. And the angel that opened his record, not a trace of his greatness could find. We're all going to be there. The morrow man came to the judgment, but his self-righteous rags would not do. The men who had crucified Jesus, they passed off as morrow men do. Listen. The soul that had put off salvation, not tonight. I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. At last, he had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and a wailing as the lost were told of their fate, they cried to the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. Therefore, what shall we do? Shall I sit here in church today and say, oh, the pastor was, was interesting today. What shall we do? I say, turn to God. Do what Nebuchadnezzar did. Honor, worship the one who is like the Son of Man. Nebuchadnezzar personally got to know the one in his visions who was like the Son of Man. He got to know the Son of Man. He gave his life to the Son of Man. 
We read last week, he finished his life by giving glory to the Son of Man. I want to say to you today, the only way that you and I can stand in the great judgment is by giving our lives to God and by calling upon Christ for the covering of his blood and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. I ask you today, in the fear of God, I ask you in the name of God, do not waste your precious opportunities. Every one of us here today can be saved. We are not saved automatically. We are automatically lost. We are saved by making a personal decision for Christ and by taking Christ in our hearts and by giving our lives to Christ, and by spending time every day with Christ in the Word, and then being baptized and joining the church. I'm going to ask every person here today to do those things in Jesus' name. Please bow your heads and we're going to pray together. What a chapter. What a story. What a prophecy. What a God. Dear Father, today, this chapter, Daniel 5, has got the power of God in it. We believe that the judgment is going to come for every one of us. We pray that no soul here will be weighed in the balances and found wanting. We thank you today that our Lord Jesus Christ, the one like the Son of Man, mentioned all through Daniel, will come and stand with us on that judgment day and cover us with his blood. Then we fear nothing at all. Our Father, today in the light of all these great truths, we want to make some clear decisions. We want to accept Christ as our Savior. We want Christ to come into our homes and into our hearts. We want to tell you today that by your grace we are going to honor the holy things of God and we will no longer desecrate the things of the sanctuary. We want to tell you today that we're going to spend time with you. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to cherish our opportunities. And we're going to be faithful. Bless these precious people here today, our Father. May every hand be raised now as an indication of an, an affirmative response to accept Christ and his word. Would you lift your hand today, reaffirm it, affirm it, I will follow Christ. I want him in my life. I want to be true to him. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to turn from alcohol also. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'm going to offer my body as a temple to God. I'm going to keep my mind clear. I'm going to use the opportunities that God has given me. I'm going to live according to the light that God has given me. Dear Father, bless these hands, bless these hearts, consecrate them, sanctify them, justify them, at last glorify them in the kingdom of God. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen.